Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi, and with me is Amrin Navabi. Amrin, how are you today? Good, good. Dean, the live chat is saying, wow, big topic. Happy to be here. Yes. This is, yeah, this is a topic. So we're going actually kind of big, and we're going to be talking yeah. about multiple things. And I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do it within the space of an hour, but we do. So, um, you know, we'll, I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit, but I think this is fascinating. Um, there is a uh, report that came out right by the Foreign Policy Research Institute earlier this year, uh, and the report is called Rethinking Assumptions About a 21st Century Middle East. And by the way, I want to say, excuse my voice, you know, I'm kind of a little bit under the weather. So um, Also, your, your microphone is also cutting in and out, so maybe you want to close some tabs. Okay. No, the tabs are closed. I think what happens is when we initially go live. It's okay. We don't need to, yeah. we don't need to know the explanation. Okay. Is the, is the audio okay now? Okay. Relatively? It's fine. Go on. Okay. Cool. Relatively fine. Right. So um, what you have is, you know, the assumptions upon which the U.S. middle, the United States Middle East policy has been based in the last several decades has become outdated. Right, so this is a recent report that we're going to talk about from the Foreign Policy Research Institute that's actually fascinating that identified four landmark areas of change um, that will that are going to have to compel the U.S. to actually rethink its approach uh, to the Middle East and the way it works. So, so there are like the four novel elements that the report talks about. First of all. It's a North American oil independence. So it says the United States no longer relies on the Middle East for its. Well, give give, give the list of the four before you explain. Like maybe just give the title because okay, it's very okay. Okay, There's let's do four... that. Yeah, yeah. four novel elements. So first of all, North American oil independence. The second is the mm -hmm. rise of China, right, and their influence mm -hmm. in the region. Uh, the third is diminishing conventional threats to Israel, so, and this is. You know the, the the old school regional enemies that Israel had. I mean, they're they're no more. It's it's a very different thing, especially now with the Abrahamic uh, the Abraham Accords. And then the fourth is a really interesting one. That I didn't know that much about. Right? Yeah, this is the is, most, yeah 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 is the rise of sub-state actors. So when we thought of right. sub-state actors, we usually thought of terror groups and insurgent groups. Uh, but uh, but in this case, uh, this report's also talking about certain financial firms, technology firms private military firms, contractors um, that actually interact so, with uh, the, the, so, the powerful so, governments. Right. So, so let me just, let me, so you have four things that are changing, making there are massive changes that are happening that's going to affect the policies that um, the United States and other Western countries have towards the Middle East. The, out of the, these four, okay, and it's really good to see like, you know, at least the three out of these four we have that we have been talking about the massive changes that are happening. Um, it's not like we're not. Sometimes I feel like, are we imagining things? Are we like being uh, conspiracy theorists, or are we like exaggerating something that we shouldn't be? 
So, you know, it's good to see like <laughs> something uh, like legitimate uh, think tanks coming out and basically confirm and confirming just everything, you know, that we've been saying so far. I mean, at least the, the, the shifts that are being talked about here are things that are the main things that we, we have been highlighting, right? So only one of these four is something that we have ignored. The other three, um, we have been very aware of and talked about, talking and talked about it on this podcast and elsewhere. Um, and all of these three out of the four are one directional when it comes to the level of importance um, of the Middle East relative to other places, which is being reduced. You know what I mean? Like if you look at yeah. the, I just don't know when it comes to the rise of the sub-state actors, it looks like the influence of that is going to be multi-directional. Um, or maybe even the opposite direction, right? Which yeah. I'll get back to later. But think about the, the the three out of four, okay? So North American oil independence. Like North America is going to be more uh, less dependent on the Middle East when it comes to the source of energy. That means the Middle East is going to be less of a place where, um, I mean, if they're being smart about it, less of a place where they're going to be um, involved in, right? because they don't need to as much as before. Again, none of this is like black and white. It's not like they're going to wash their hands off of it. It's just going to be relative to before. Um, and also, if 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 the states are being logical, um, it's going to be relative to before. Again, you have to understand that in states, the report even mentioned itself that states is like, even if it makes logical sense for you to like change strategy, um, states do have a habit of just continuing with the things that they have been doing before like it's a little bit the change is a little bit sticky it's not going to be just that and there's a sunk cost fallacy associated with all of this that it's going to be like uh, people governments have to justify the amount of spending they have had before however it seems like with biden's administration none of the, these things don't seem to be an issue as much as we thought like when they said they're going they're going to pull it out of afghanistan they actually did it which is well okay and yeah. then, okay so that was the first one the second one is the rise of china again it's going to have the same effect as well, not the same, uh, but the same direction of an effect as the first one, which is moving away from the Middle East. China being an important issue um, makes the United States want to focus on another thing, like another area. And, and it, like, it's not going to be just China. It's just going to be that entire region, right? It's going to be China, uh, Indonesia, Australia, um, Japan, Korea, both Koreas, um, Philippines, like it's going to be the whole whole neighborhood, right? So it's going to be more focused on that area relative to the Middle East. The third one, when you mentioned, is diminish, diminishing um, conventional threats to Israel, right? So, like the entire, like Israel is such an important ally to the United States, and the United States being in the Middle East is going to be less, like. I don't know, like if you if you if you listen to Israeli politicians, you keep thinking like Israel is going to be like is that it at every all the time is at a, a threat level like existential threat level. You know what I mean? Like it could be like they're still fighting for survival, but we know that's not the case anymore, right? Israel, Israel is going Israel is going to be have some have to deal with some security issues some instability around its borders some i don't know attack on, on its civilians um again i'm not dismissing the fact that israelis will are going to die like but it's not israel 
the only thing like there's no foreign threat um, to the existence or the identity of Israel. If there's any threats to Israel's identity, it's from within, not from outside, right? Um, so, but the the you wouldn't get that impression if you listen to Israeli politicians because I don't know, like having um, threats from outside borders are perfect ways of getting votes. Like as Netanyahu constantly used to use that uh, method, but we know, like anybody that knows anything knows that Israel is not its existence is not a threat anymore. Okay, like it's not going to like it's not at threat anymore. Like it's not going to you're not don't have to worry about that, right? So given that. You therefore Israel would not need, first of all, um, would not need United States to uh, compared to before to protect it. Also, given that is like, um, you know, what this is one of the things that we could, uh, one of the few things that we could congratulate the Trump administration for. Um, um, this I think it was this and taking out Qasem Soleimani are the two are the only two things that I would. Uh, congratulate the Trump administration for everything else was like a disaster but the Abraham Accords means like the normalization of having relationship with Israel among countries that used to want to completely annihilate it is some is happening at a faster speed than any of us anticipated so the countries that used to be a major threat to Israel's existence are now actually actively being the countries that are making that will be defending it as well Especially because of the threat of Iran's uh, uh, regime, right to to their own existence, which is now seems to be even more uncertain than Israel's existence, right? Like Saudi Arabia, this, the house the house of Saud's remaining in power is more is more of a question now than Israel's existence, right? Like so, so the, given that, yeah. like you would need so, yeah, so. You, you're not going to need the United States influence as much as before because Israel is now relying on so many other countries. You could see, like, the UK just recently came out and made Hamas as uh, not just Hamas as military arm, but also as um, non military arm. Also, they announced it as for it to be a terrorist group. Like, Australia did that, uh, United Kingdom did that, which means that more countries are put, moving towards. Um, being more aggressively defending Israel against a, a threat, so that means less reliant on re, being less reliant on the United States. So again, this will has the same direction, moving away from the Middle East when it, for the United States, right? But this last one, this last one is like, like it blew my mind. Like I couldn't even, like it was very interesting. Like this is something that I think we need, we could do an entire live stream about the the rise of the number four, the rise of sub uh, state actors. But yeah, you want to go through all of all of these for yourself, Ali, and give us your take on on each one of them. Yeah, I think that we should do like this. Is go through uh, each four of them because I, because I think it's good. And we, we should we'll talk about the last one. And keep it till the end because substate actors are not what you conventionally think of. Like it's not about the insurgents or the terrorist terror groups or anything like that. But the first of all, like what I find interesting, and I, I remember I used to write about this a lot in around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, was the uh, American dependence on oil and energy. And th this is amazing to me because, um, you know, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and at that time these wars were happening and they, they had these people were driving these sort of gas guzzling SUVs and they had support our troops stickers on them. And I used to think I'm like support our troops. And then when you fill these, uh, these, you know, l large amount of gas consuming 
cars, vehicles with gas. I mean, you're you're basically bowing to the Saudi king every time you do it because the U.S. used to get so much of its oil from the Middle East. Um, and then all of that changed really, really fast. It's amazing how fast these things change. So you know, this is happening. You know, the Iraq war is underway. The Afghan war is underway. All this stuff's happening. And then around 2008, 2009, you have what they call the, sh- the shale revolution. And that's where the fracking came in. And then they found out that they could just increase the amount of uh, oil production in the U.S. U.S. started increasing it by, you know. In Canada. Huh? In in Canada. And and Canada, yeah, by by hundreds of percent, like by several hundred percent, uh, they started increasing the production. So it it kept going. And this is around the time that, uh, you know, the the Saudis and the people in the Middle East started uh, realizing that, okay, this is going to be a problem for them. And then now by 2020, I think, and especially according to this report, this is just before the uh, this whole big illness started going around. Um, the U.S. actually became the world's largest uh, oil producer. So the U.S. production hit 13 million barrels per day, right? And at a higher cost, though. So we have to acknowledge it, like compared to Saudi, Saudi's oil that comes out like with much less cost. So there's that. Yeah. Sure. And and then so, you know, what you have now is you have oil that there's a very small percentage of oil that actually comes from um, the, the Middle East, from, say, Saudi Arabia. And a lot of the oil now first it used to come to North America and to the West. But now it goes mainly to Asia, right? The oil that comes out of the Middle East. So that's become a big issue. And, and many things change because of this. So this is one of those things, the oil production, as we know, that every time there was a war in the Middle East, they'd say, oh, it's because of the oil, you know, when um, even Donald Trump, when he said, you know, we're going to, I would have gone to Iraq, I would have kept all the oil that was considered an oil war. So the oil thing was a really, really big deal. And then once that uh, aspect, you know, it didn't necessarily go away. But once it started getting downplayed, you know, you'd, you'd see a lot of these conflicts, you know, becoming, uh, you know, dampened down. Um, you would see that uh, that this wasn't just a, uh, you know, it wasn't just an environmental issue. It was actually a national security issue. Uh, you saw the and the Saudis- democracy, and also a democracy issue because yeah, I course, don't, yeah. I, I, I want people like people are, think that these um, all of this all rich countries, the oil has a, been a blessing to these countries, but it hasn't. It's it's been a curse. Um, like we like. Around um, starting around in 1900s, right, early 1900s, we saw an enlightenment, like a push for democracy and free speech and representation, um, you know, uh, coming to the Middle East in the same way that in the 1800s it came to Europe. You know what I mean? Like in you saw a major push for that. People were demanding. Um, for an enlightenment, like for an like uh, a move towards people having more say in their lives relative to co- their government, right? It seemed to have been started. Like what we saw start in Europe, um, we saw that like okay, this is now the Middle Easterns. It's happening. It's happening. It was happening everywhere. It was happening in Egypt. It was happening in Iran. It was happening in Turkey. It was very exciting, right? And then what changed? What changed was the oil. What changed was the oil. The oil, people discovered like, oh, money is just coming out of the goddamn ground. And the governments didn't need the people anymore for power. They could just sell the oil and just be like, 
do whatever they want. You don't need people's say. Like it, it shifts the balance of the power um, that was changing. It was going from the governments to the people. It, it made it go back in the other direction, right? It yeah. destroyed all these democratic movements and the governments became more dictatorial um, as the price of oil went up. So I'm happy, like, it, it would be a good thing to see this curse go, go away. Like, a lot of people think, like, oil rich, oil is good for the people. It was good that, you know, the money was flowing in. But no, it was it was just shifting the balance of power. That, this is, yeah, so this is the point that I think is the most important out of all this. When people think of oil, they just think of economics. They think of environmental issues. They think of, it's not that. You know, so first of all, and I, I, I want to add to what, what Armin said, that first of all, you know, the national security thing I was saying was that, you know, when Saudi Arabia had a lot of oil, they could get away with anything. You know, I talked about a lot of times that, that Saudi Arabia was living in Saudi Arabia was like the, it was like the Taliban with a lot of money, right? I mean, you had the same treatment of women, the same issue. It wasn't really that much different from all of these fundamentalist groups, except they had a whole country and it was a dictatorship, right? And then uh, what happened is that when they realized that their oil is limited, what started happening? Right, they they started uh, opening things up. They started his, the, you know, MBS started his Vision Twenty Thirty program, and started realizing because this is not sustainable. They're going to have to bring in um, foreign investment. They're going to have to find other ways to keep themselves alive as an as an economic power. I mean, this is something that you know when you have the oil, they knew they were just pumping oil out of the ground. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to educate their populace. They didn't have to like have democracy. They, they could get away with anything they wanted to because they knew that the U.S. wouldn't touch them. On 9-11, 15 of the 19 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. There was like a demonstrated ties between, you know, Saudi, like authorities in Saudi Arabia and some of these like actions against the U.S. The funding of the madrasas in, in, in Pakistan that created the Taliban, like when the ISI created the Taliban. All of these assets, this stuff was coming out of Saudi Arabia, but nobody ever, ever, did anything pointed fingers at them because they needed their oil. They had that oil power. But while, while they had the oil, they didn't develop anything else. They had absolutely no other contribution to the rest of the world. None. Because it's right? easy. So because it was easy. easy to, yeah, you have to, you know, if, and, and again, you don't need, here's an interesting thing, Ali, you know, a lot of people, uh, if you notice, like where you had enlightenment values developed, or just like not just enlightenment values, just just the power of the people, like the democratic movements, right? The main two ones people uh, think of both happened um, in, in ancient times and in recent history. Um, both of them were around in Europe, right? Like you have the Greeks even inventing the idea of democracy, like in ancient times. And then you, the major other push that most people talk about is, again, in Western Europe um, and in the Age of Enlightenment, like in the 1700s and then eventually mainly the political push for it in the 1800s, right? Um, and this, by the way, gives a lot of fuel to racists and ethno-nationalists to be like, to think like there must be something inherently superior uh, to our people that, you know, that makes these countries go in that direction, right? However, what actually, what's, hap what's actually happening is that um, the, the problem with the geography of Europe makes it, makes it better for the people, right? Like, it, the fact is that, like, if you look at, I don't know, um, in the Middle East or in China, uh, the geography, like, it, it, in Europe, it, it's very difficult for any king uh, or any ruler to take over. Like, you know, if you look at ancient Greece, it had this, uh, you know, at the city states, so it was they weren't capable 
of just to ma ha build a massive empire. Like even eventually Rome managed to like so it, there's a cycle, right? Um, because of the because of the competing powers, people uh, there's a lot more freedom, and because of a lot, a lot that freedom, there's a lot of wealth, and because of that a lot of, because of the wealth that is these countries eventually gather there's a push for tyranny so you can see like rome going from being democratic to all of a sudden and tyrannical but again it will keep collapsing because it's hard in europe to maintain a lot of power over a lot of people right and because of the this difficulty over in, in the geography of europe for any state to have an imbalance like major power over its people for them to constantly fall apart and for people to constantly rebel um you see that democratic values keeps growing in europe right so the weakness the inability of states to maintain a, an imbalance of power over their people makes europe the perfect place for democracy to flourish right so just like the just like geography um historically has stopped um dictators and tyrants to become too powerful in europe now oil has done the opposite for the middle east right so but again you see like this is such a interesting things to in and also the influence of geography will eventually diminish you know what i mean the influence of oil eventually will diminish the fact that we the digital information had made access the the digital revolution has made the access to information a lot more democratic that's going to give more power um to towards the people and eventually i don't want to get into this topic but eventually um you know blockchain technology is also going to spread and power across you know more towards the people i think well i don't want to start talking about that that would be another stream but again so so this is this is it's it's a very interesting time to watch and again this i think number the number one factor when uh, is going to be relative to the number four factor okay because the number one is talking about american uh, north american depend all the independence right as a way to sh show the shift of, um shift of the balance of power when it comes to controlling um sources of energy going away from the middle east and maybe like north america becoming more independent on that but it's not just going to be the going from the middle east towards north america right it's going to be going from the middle east states uh towards the middle eastern people as well right so that's it's in, in that direction as well right um and again that's why i think it makes number four which is going to be the rise of sub-state actors is somehow I, the, the study itself that the the paper that you sent uh, you sent Ali that it doesn't talk about this but I think the fact that oil is going to be a less of a factor is going to empower sub-state actors as well right because there's if you can't rely if the power of the state is going to be reduced what other alternatives are going to be influencing people's lives in the Middle East is going to be the sub-state actors. But sub-state actors like could be a positive influence or a negative influence. Is it going to be like a religious radical group or is it going to be like, I don't know, like um, social media company or, you know, I mean, like some tech tech hub or like some ngos that are doing something great you know like there's going to be yeah. so we'll, we'll get to number four later yeah that's what they're saying here but just yeah. you know but just overall i mean what's like the takeaway from this first one okay and i think we move on to the second one now is that is that you know when, when you had like the u.s economy was was very very dependent 
right, on uh, oil from the Middle East. And that was a big deal. And a lot of the, you know, the U.S., its foreign policies approach, like, it, number one thing is national interest, right? So everything they do is uh, depends on what their national interests is. A large amount of that is economic. Oil was a huge, huge national interest. But now that uh, that's not a big deal, or as it becomes less and less and less of a deal, you're going to see the U.S. and you are seeing the U.S. disengaging from a lot of the issues uh, in the Middle East. All right, so I think that that's the real main takeaway. So you know the way that you the U.S. interacts with the Middle East is very different, um, and a lot of these countries who've been kind of spoiled and coddled for a very long time with these dictatorships not doing anything to kind of grow their their human resources, grow their intellectual, their entrepreneurial resources, um, now are going to have to step up. And they're going to have to start start working on these things too, because that you know the the oil just coming from the teat of their land is not going to be uh, enough to sustain them. So I think that that's a really really interesting, massive, massive. That's probably one of the biggest shifts uh, that's happening. So the next uh, topic that the uh, paper talks about is China, right? So China is now, as you know, a growing economic power rivaling the U.S. I mean, they're saying that it's one of the most intense sort of cold wars, the, the cold, the U.S.-China cold war that's happening. Um, and uh, where the U.S. is leaving, China is making its way in, right? So uh, the U.S. has identified China as a competitor. Um, and a lot of the U.S.'s uh, security, according to this paper, uh, it's reoriented all aspects of its security institutions towards this competition with China. Um, even though it's not significant at this point, but at least to some extent, you can see it happening. You can see the beginnings of it, right? So, uh, yeah, th so, th so this is another thing. So, uh, Armin, you've talked a lot about this, right, about China and its... Yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah, by the way, this is also why Trump was such a disaster in this area, right? So, again, um, when it comes to, I think, number three, Trump had a positive influence, right? with the Abrahamic Accord making, uh, but when it comes to number two, Trump was a disaster. Uh, first of all, for like not making the United States join the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was like a Obama's uh, pivot to the East. Um, like that was like, that was going to be a major turning point, right? When it comes to making sure United States is allying with as many countries as possible uh, to not let China bully everybody in that region and also to make sure that this whole idea of um, standing up for um, liberal values and human rights and the you know free trade and better standards you know it was a major push in that direction so that not to not let China um, you know, undo. I know United States itself has been responsible for undoing a lot of the, um, the good that the push for the liberal, the worldwide, you know, liberal order. You know, um, ever since World War II. Like I, I don't. People have to understand. Like when it comes to um, a lot of people make attack this policing of the world by le leading by United States talking about human rights, talking about free trade uh, deal, like free, you know, lowering tariffs, having better standards. A lot of people think like United States and all these other institutions such as like 
United Nations or the World Trade Organization or the International Criminal Court. They keep pointing at the, um, these global institutions that are supposed to ha have fixed the, uh, the world so that we don't have any situations like World War One or World War II happening again and reduction in genocide and stuff like this. They think like it has been a failure just because they come up with examples for where United States has been hypocritical or when the United States have, hasn't been respecting human rights. And, here's, and we do highlight those here as well. Like it's not like I'm denying that those exist, right? But if you actually look at the overall general, general trend, things have been, it has worked out. This has been a success. Um, ever since uh, World War II, um, the, the push for an international order with, with human rights and better standards uh, has made the world a much more peaceful place and it has brought a lot more a lot of people out of poverty and it seemed like china was like joining this um movement um if, before she came into power in, in china right like ch china managed to you know grow its economy so fast because it was basically accepting these new standards and this new ways of doing things and this new way of international order and this new way of creating friends around the world right and then all of a sudden now she is in power and things are now seeming to be like a little bit more questionable. Like the reason why China grew so much is because it opens its border to the international world, like and to the world and like to, to all these investments, right? So it's, things were moving in the right direction. Now, now, now the CCP has realized that okay, if they keep if we keep enriching our people, um, at some point the the people will um, the relative power of the people of China is going to be too much relative to the CCP and we can't have that. So like, we might as well just, you know, slow down and not grow as fast as long as we make sure that the CCP is still like, is, remains in power. Right. Um, so, so that's unfortunate, but like Obama realized how important it is to make sure that, um, China with all the power that it has, and I think that this paper exaggerates the powers of China. Like I think some people exaggerate. It, it is significant, but not as like near. Like it, it, the paper set calls it near peer to the United States. Like not even close. China, like as much as powerful as China is becoming, is still extremely insignificant to what the United States is. Right, uh, even compared to what the European Union is. Like like no, not militarily. Like China is able to cause a lot of like be dominant maybe around the area but not um but not worldwide i have ali you keep talking yeah, there's somebody i have to respond to go ahead. okay so yeah i wanted to uh you know there's another thing also oh, that's an interesting uh little avatar for for armin so i think uh th there's another thing that uh are that that this paper talks about like in addition to you know when we're talking about how china is making its way um into the middle east and into the world uh is it's not just the economic channels that open. There's also geographical advantages that China is actually trying to uh, implement. So, you know, we know about the Belt and Road Initiative. I mean, that's something that uh, we've talked about in this paper, talks about how that makes a lot of strategic sense. So one thing that China has done is uh, it's, you know, and Armin, you know, I don't know if you want to mention this as well, is the uh, how China has been entering the dynamics of Iran. Sorry about that. Right. No, no worries. Yeah. So there is the uh, they have the signing of the comprehensive strategic partnership between China and Iran, um, and yep. the Belt and Road Initiative. So when uh, China has had access to Iranian ports, such as what is this Bandar Abbas and Chabahar, Armin, am I pronouncing yeah, it right? Yeah, Chabahar. 
Yeah. No, but so, okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So no. Yeah. I mean, China is going to move in. Is China is going to move in every time um, in all the all of these places, right? Yeah. It's going to have um, like some. This seems like contradictory. We're going to we're saying that Middle East is going to be less important because the United States is going to focus around uh, China's neighborhood and but um, you know, especially protecting like protecting its allies in this region, right? Protecting Japan, protecting Korea, protecting uh, the Philippines, protecting uh, Australia, which is just goddamn submarines like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, so and you can see like, um, but again, this you might think like, well, Middle East is going to actually be more important because China is now becoming more aggressive, like with the Belt and Road Initiative. You can see a lot of the things that you know china's the, a lot of the ways that china is going to move into europe is going to be through the middle east so so that's going to seem like it's going to make the middle east more important however this is all this this is this would only be true if you think that china china's influence in the middle east is going to be as big as the united states again china is big and it's growing and it's growing significantly but it's not the same as the United States. Like if the United States has less influence in the Middle East and China comes in, it's not going to be able to throw, like when, when, when United States throws, throws its weight around, it's like, it's like, it, it, it just, it just moves things in a way. It influences politics. It influences economy in a way that China could never do. Again, I'm not saying these things are, are insignificant. I'm just talking about, you know, it's it's the difference between I don't know, like a, a dragon and a goddamn god. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are both significant, but the United States, the United States impact on things is a lot more significant. So if if one is replacing the other one, it will still um, net, the net effect would be less intervention, right? Um, but again, this this effect, unlike the one with the oil one, uh, the the oil uh, is going to be unfortunately um have uh, be bad for the people like uh, of these countries uh, democratically economically will be good right um because you the more trade you have like here's the thing like guys i don't want people to think like we're anti-china we're not anti-china we're anti-ccp okay china growing is good not just for china china growing is good for the world right China growing economically means like more trade for everybody, more businesses for everybody. And China coming out and doing deals with people in the Middle East is going to be good for the people in the Middle East. You want the economies of these countries to be re more reliant on trade, more reliant on goods coming in and out of the ports, um, more people doing businesses re relative to the oil. That's a positive effect uh, for these countries, right? Uh, and people all talk about, I don't know, the, the Chinese debt trap. Overall, I think that's been exaggerated. Um, overall, I think the economic impact of Chinese uh, co companies doing deals with uh, Middle Eastern and African countries is a net positive for these countries. However, the net the negative part is the democratic influence, right? Because um, what we had with um, North American, uh, Western European um, countries and their allies like Korea and Australia, and Japan is that they had this 
uh, standards, okay? Again, I'm not saying they're doing these standards out of the goodness of the heart, and I know they have been hypocrites and they've been violating these laws, but they have certain standards of who you do deal with and how much you do deal with it. But what, like, there's some enlightenment values, there's some human rights, there's some standards for trade, standards for labor that it, if you accept it more, uh, you would be considered more of an ally. Again, I know there's exceptions, like Saudi Arabia is the easiest one that comes to mind, right? The United States has been supporting tyrants and um, dictators all around you know, the Middle East. So you can, you might come up with the impression that it has been the exact opposite, but it hasn't. Um, these standards did make a difference, but China doesn't have those standards. China, like if you look, if you see Europe putting pressure on Pakistan because of its human rights violations and like threatening them to get out of this deal or that deal or this group or that group, you don't have Pakistan, for example, wouldn't have that issue with China, right? If you see like Iran has sanctions on because of its human rights violation, well, Iran wouldn't have that problem with China, right? So China being able to come to some extent, not not completely, to some extent filling the gap uh, that, you know, it lowers the standards. It makes it a little bit less problematic for, for dictators to be able to mistreat their people. So that, in that aspect, is going to have a negative effect, okay? The, 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 however, I do, my optimistic view of this, which I hope is true, is that eventually, you know, China's, GDP per capita will rise enough for the CCP not to be able to uh, keep going in this direction. Like this has been the new, the new like direction. This is a very recent direction, by the way. Like China was fixing everything. This is only with she coming into power, things have recently going in the opposite direction, right? I hope it fails miserably. I hope like Chinese people become rich enough so that their power relative to the government will mean that eventually they could get this to stop. I'm hoping that with like with like, I don't know, cryptocurrencies and then the access to satellite internet, uh, eventually. The, the people in China, like satellite internet would mean that there's no way for the Chinese government to be able to censor what people in China have to say. I'm hoping that eventually this whole thing, this you know, eventually, because you it, it, the, the countries that um, focus, that their governments focus with uh, um, on human rights in other countries are countries that they, they have a good, human rights record at least internally within their own countries right like you you don't see like a country that mistreats its own people going up and putting up standards of higher than they have themselves at home uh, with who they trade with and who they are allying with like you don't see that right so for this for for china to eventually uh take part in this in this standard setting globally they first have to have their own people uh you know have come and hold their account governments accountable in the same way that they do so in Europe and, and or in North America or in Korea or Japan, right? Um, or in Taiwan, if if that lasts. Um, but 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 again, this is something that Obama recognized. Um, unfortunately, Trump un, un, undid uh, undid every, all the gains that Obama had, and also it's something that Biden realizes. And it's amazing because Biden is when when. 
<laughs> Obama had a pivot to the East. It was with like this trade deal with this giant. It would have been the world's largest international trade deal, uh, which would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. And Trump like pulled the United States out of that, which was the greatest disaster. Like I think maybe that's the greatest crime uh, of Trump has been the to TPP. pull out the United States. Yes, to pull out the uh, United States out of this. Like it completely. The, the global effects on that uh, is going to be catastrophic, right? No, by, uh, by the way, it, Bernie it, Sanders was going to do the same thing. He was also anti. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. This is something. Yeah, um, and and but Biden, <laughs> they call him Sleepy Joe, but he did the same pivot, but with submarines. <laughs> nuclear powered submarines like sleepy joe <laughs> like that was like i'm coming here as well in the neighborhood not not with like trade deals i mean he probably is going to eventually push for trade deals unless like i don't know how much time he has um but with nuclear powered submarines is like the most aggressive push to like um <laughs> like people are like hey this guy seems passive like no apparently not <laughs> <laughs> right, like that, guys, I don't think people realize how a major shift uh, in the balance of powers uh, that submarine, those submarines there are going to make. Like again, like if people have to realize, like China is not a world superpower. Okay, it's not going to be a superpower. It's going to become. The question is not right now, at least within our lifetime, is whether China will replace the United States because it's not. Okay. The question is that if is China going to be able to dominate that region or not? Okay. Okay. So, and given that the United States is far away, like that is a more realistic to question to ask. Okay. It, it you know, you know what I mean? That that neighborhood will China be able to outmaneuver United States influence in that area. And that's a big deal, okay? A lot of trade goes through there, right? A lot of U.S. allies are there. A lot of the most the world's largest world economies are. Japan is there, okay? So, which is one of United States' main, main trading partners and allies, okay? So this is a big deal, but not as big of a deal as is China going to take over United States. It's not. Is it going to take United States over in that area? That's the question. And with with Biden's, you know, nuclear submarine push in Australia, even that seems now unlikely. Do you know what I mean? Like even the question of China is China going to dominate that area? Even that is not not a realistic thing to uh, to expect. Let alone the entire goddamn planet. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, so. Let's. Um... Yeah, no, it's like the China thing is actually quite interesting because I mean, I think the China relationship with Israel and the China relationship with Iran, I mean, those things are actually quite interesting too. But I think let's just move on because we've got we're at forty one minutes now, and I oh, really yeah. want to talk about the other two. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one is Israel, and as you mentioned, Israel is according to this is like it just does not face any existential threat. There's no credible or even plausible force that could threaten a ground invasion to seize the Israeli heartland. Um, the Israelis themselves admit that the conventional and non-conventional threats in the first circle are on the decline, while there has been an increase in non-conventional threats. So, you know, that's that's one thing that we're seeing that Israel is actually more secure than ever. And I think I thought it was kind of funny the way you said that. Uh, you know, there's more of you know an existential question when it comes to Iran and Saudi Arabia and their future, right? Yeah. Then there is, then well, there especially is Saudi Arabia. Right I'm not sure anymore about Iran. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, relatively. Like, I'm not saying the Saudi, the House of Saudi is going to fall, 
but relative to Israel, Israel does not have to worry about. Well, I actually let me change that. Okay, when it comes to threats from outside, Israel doesn't have to worry about whether it will be able to maintain Israel as it is. You know, there there is no threat from outside. Any threat from outside is like. Are you going to cause us some problems over here? Are you going to assassinate Israel's citizens um, outside of Israeli borders, right? Are you going to, are these settlers like safe here or not, right? Um, are there going to be some missiles being, you know, thrown over Tel Aviv and some people are going to die? These are the things that Israel has to worry about. But whether Israel is going to be able to exist or not, that is no longer, that is no longer like, Gaza, Hamas, Hezbollah, um, e even in nuclear Iran, these are not going to be a threat to existence of the Israel's existence. Okay, the world, like the world, would unite in defending Israel if that ever even remote comes remotely close to happening. Okay, so nobody has to um, like again when it comes to threats to Israel, the major, you know, the major threat to Israel is for it to become completely an ethno-state or the other way around, um, for it to become, you know, for people... Okay, so for in the push, so there's two directions that this is happening, okay? So there's a racist version of this and there's a non-racist version of this, okay? The racist version of this is that there seems to go be more Arabs in the between the, uh, the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, um, and if we want to not be an apartheid state and give everybody the right to self-determination and vote, and uh, but it, uh, if it's under one state, then well, these are going to be more Arabs here, and I Israel is not going to exist anymore as a Jewish yeah. state. Um, but if we want to have two separate states, that doesn't seem possible anymore with all the settlements and everything. Okay, so they're like people are saying like, okay, we don't we don't want to not be an uh, we don't want to be have a uh, one state under with everybody has equal say because there's, there's there's more Arabs and Jews and therefore Israel is not going to be a Jewish state anymore and people are like okay well that was the problem are you are you racist against Arabs well the problem with that is not because <laughs> you shouldn't be like well Arabs shouldn't have the right to self determination that and Jewish Jewish people should be having that that's like racist the problem is that the Arabs have been um been made to live in such conditions that if they're gonna be if they if, if these people eventually come to power and threaten the democracy and secularism of Israel, it's not going to be because they're Arab. It's it's going to be because of the conditions they have been lived made to be lived in for the past couple of decades. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you are basically creating radicals as a way to um use fear-mongering as a way to make yourself more important and therefore you know make security more of an issue than other problems that israel is having but again eventually these these people are not going to go anywhere maybe maybe not we'll talk about I'm gonna, uh, you know so eventually you're going you cannot have an apartheid state um indefinitely eventually these people are going to be able to get equal rights and everything so but how how do you want that to happen? Do you want that to happen with I don't know with a sea of blood, or do you want that to happen peacefully? Okay, because the more these people are alienated and live separately and are radicalized using religious 
and other language, other dogmatic language, not even non-religious ones sometimes, right? Um, eventually, it's going to make it harder eventually for this um, marriage to take place. It's not going to be a ma marriage. It's going well, to be like a, it, a, a civil war. It right? can't happen so, without without two separate states. It can't. Like you can't. Have it has a to. It's it's impossible. The two state solution seems impossible. It's, it's only, now, right. Yeah, it, it does seem impossible. But that's the only way you're going to have a Jewish state that is also a democracy. Well, it's not going to be a Jewish state. So that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. there, there's that's only two. Yeah. Like there, yeah. yeah, it's not going to be a Jewish state. So that's why I'm saying the only threat is from within. Like how that happens, whether it's going to be, um, like a bloody or peaceful, it's going to be depending on how, um how the Palestinians are treated and how Israeli Arabs are treated in the next couple of decades. Like I'm hoping again, another solution to all of this is to increase the economic power of the Palestinians and Arab Israelis. So because with, with more trade between these groups of people, the less is convenient is going to be for, um, for politicians to use each other, or use each other's people as a, as a fear tactic to for them to become in power, right? Because trade and the people's economies depend on it, right? So again, more trade is always seems to be always the answer. More more putting uh, purchasing power in the hands of the people is uh, it seems to be always the answer, right? Um, but the the seems the 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 ethno the nationalists in Israel who seem to have realized that it's impossible for you to to continue having a Jewish state indefinitely uh, because this will not eventually the, uh, the status quo has to change um, there I, th I think their method this is kind of play a game of chicken that they're playing okay uh, is to miss to make life so difficult for both Arab, you know for Palestinians for, for them to just leave to just go to Lebanon, or Syria, or Jordan, or well, I say Jordan in, in Arabic and Persian, um, or other places. You just just go uh, you, if you they want them to just leave, and so that's that's their strategy, right? So this is what okay. So if you think eventually you're gonna have a one state solution with people with having equal rights and everything and equal votes, if that's going to be uh, the situation. Um, so you could like either be like, okay, these people are going to have these people one day going to have the power of vote. So you could either say like, let's treat them nicely. So instead of having a civil war or having Israel become an Arab state where people are um, religious or radical and anti-secularism uh, and anti-gay rights and anti-woman rights, instead of like, um, you know, maybe if we like have economic ties with them our values will keep switching people will slowly be valued more so once eventually that marriage happens you will have a state that is not a jewish state but still democratic and still secular or you could go the other way around and instead of like treating them better or involving them more in economic development to go on full-on aggressive so that they leave right they just leave and go to other countries right they just go and live settle somewhere else right we like okay, and that if they leave then when eventually that marriage happens we will still be a majority and we will have a jewish state plus maybe we could get the ultra orthodox jewish people to uh, keep breeding as fast as uh, arabs because that seems to be our only hope when it comes to population the relative population right but you know so again that's another direction you could go but if you go into that direction and you fail 
right? If you go into the direction of treating people miserably so that they leave, but you fail and they stay and that marriage happens, then you have created a whole bunch of radical groups. Uh, and now the, in the entirety of Israel and what it stands for, uh, what it should stand for is that threat. Like what Israel it should stand for is not for it to be a Jewish state, but for it to be a secular democratic state. But now you have a whole bunch of people that you've radicalized, and now they have equal rights and say as you are, and you, and that will that's the greatest threat to Israel is that, not Iran, not Hezbollah, and not Hamas. This is the greatest threat to Israel, right? But right now what we're talking about is the fact that we know that none of these foreign actors are the greatest threats to Israel. So you don't need United States as much as before right to help you and again this is what trump this is a thing that trump administration understood and did well and it brought all these countries together brought the arab states together um gulf arab states together with egypt and everything and sudan and everyone else and normal is normalized having a relationship with uh, israel to the extent that we we didn't think would be possible in our lifetime right this was a push in the right direction uh, and it's going to save the United States a lot of money, okay, because it's easier to demonstrate that Israel doesn't need our help, right? Also, the, the same signals have been made uh, to Europe, right? Europe is um, is now realizing that it cannot forever uh, rely um, on United States protection, right, um, against threats like Russia, right? So they are like now becoming, if you look at what's happening in Poland right now, uh, they're massively increasing their size of the army, doubling it, in fact. Um, because, and again, this is going to save um, United States tax, uh, taxpayers a lot of money, right? But again, if, they, if these countries are relying less on United States, if Israel and European countries are relying less on United States as allies, that means that they also have to give in to them less than before. You know what I mean? Like, United States cannot... Demand things as much as it did before because these countries are less reliant on the United States, right? However, it's good if countries that are becoming less reliant on the United States, if there's still countries that are that have um, better human rights record and demand better standards, that's not a negative. This is also this is going to save American taxpayer money. Also, these are still countries that are have higher standards, especially with Poland now. Becoming more and more like as much as they have, they're the one of the worst European Union countries, member countries that when it comes to accepting gay rights and all of that, um, and still having blasphemy laws and enforcing them, uh, you know. Um, I think like that's going to eventually stop given how reliant countries of Poland are uh, relative to the rest of the European Union and the fact that the European Union is like forcing upon them the standards that they like this is a good thing like European Union you know is is very is very aggressive when it comes to having better standards and making that conditions um and you know billions and billions of dollars they're willing to uh, you know change their their policy because of uh, countries like you know Pakistan, for example, just not just not abiding by human rights and even holding their own members accountable. Like Poland could have lost millions of billions and billions of dollars just because they're like they having gay LGBT free zones, right? Which is horrible, right? But but you can see like you know they're not they're not messing around. Like they do actually care about human rights. This is not just like a just a thing that they just say. Again, I know we could find. Um, examples of them not doing so uh, and being hypocrites, but overall, it's much better than 
what uh, then countries like China, the way countries like China have, have maintains relationships with other you know they don't care about human rights at all right. um but yeah so go on Ali so yeah no I wanted to get like we have a uh, six minutes left and I really want to talk about this uh the sub-state actors and I wanted to oh know yeah what, that's a, yeah, yeah what you thought about this because it's kind of interesting so this is not a new thing so you know we know about like for example we know that Hezbollah is a huge sub-state actor in you know the Lebanon, Israel, like that Middle East region, okay, they've actually held their own. Against okay? so this is not even a country; this is a sub-state actor. So we also know it historically. Like I mean, where I'm from, India and Pakistan, basically, I, there was a sub-state actor, the the British company, the East India Company, that came into the the Britain uh, to India in the uh, in the 1700s, and then eventually all of the colonization happened through this company. Uh, that's how the you know Indian subcontinent became a British colony. So you know we know about this in history, but now uh, there are new aspects of this uh, that are arising, right? So not only do we have the you know the Hezbollahs and the ISIS and everything, but you have all of these tech firms, right? And this is what the paper argues: you have tech tech firms like Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, and these are rivaling government powers. I mean, if you look at Elon Musk, like Elon Musk's net worth. Uh, climbed up to 326 billion this year. Can you imagine that 326 billion was just this one man, his net worth. Uh, that's higher than, well, I I don't even know how many countries you can name. Like loads and loads and loads of countries in the world. Like this man, one man was worth more than most of these countries' GDPs. So these people clearly have a lot of influence, right, on the states that they're in and on states outside of them, like Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, have completely changed the face of uh, how uh, protests and things like that happen in Middle Eastern countries. Like uh, the influence of Facebook in Iraq, a lot of these, the, the, the other sub-state actors actually use uh, these platforms to organize their events. Um, so there's that. And then uh, the other thing that they talk about is uh, these uh, organized crime, like the drug cartels in Mexico, right? Incredible influence on, on the state and the government, the interactions with the, with the, with the powerful elements of the countries. Uh, and then Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, you know, some of these big corporations and banks, financial firms, they have a tremendous amount of influence. So it's interesting that they talk about this as a, as a rising threat also, that's actually rivaling the power of, of these governments. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't very clear to me about like it mentioned them, which was fascinating, but it didn't. It wasn't as clear as the other three. Yeah, uh, it seemed like the influence of this is going to be in every direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if again, like look at the all the three that was mentioned before. When it comes to the Middle East, it seemed like the influence is like, um, you know, the same direction. But when it comes to the reason, okay, so the rising of, um, you know, sub-state actors it's not a middle eastern thing it's like everywhere what right. is interesting about the the reason why this is uh they're talking about this within the context of uh middle east is because the gap between sub-state actors and the states is narrower in the middle east right so so okay so some examples of Substates actors like the one that you mentioned is, is is a very interesting one. Like this is not a new thing. Like we had the British, the East India Company, right, which were very powerful. But even though they were very powerful, I mean, yeah, actually they were they were more powerful than states, right? Like they were not power, more powerful than the British Empire, but they were more powerful than, than the India. entire <laughs> India, all of United India. I mean, they basically right. took over the That's whole thing. They allowed the British to take over the whole thing. They were incredibly powerful. 
Right. But... Another actually another subset actor that it didn't mention, uh, but I was thinking of entirely because it, it mentioned some subset actors historically, and then some modern subset actors like the IRGC uh, or ISIS or NGOs or like religious institutions, um, Facebook, Amazon, these are all sub-state actors, right? But one that it, I think it should have touched on, I don't know, maybe it did, maybe I missed it, uh, because it's both historic, like at the times, like, uh, and current, is the Muslim Brotherhood, right? Like Muslim oh, Brotherhood sure, yeah. was like one of the, one of the most influential sub-state actors before in the Middle East, and it almost took over Egypt in modern times, also in modern times. Like, yes, it's like a bit, it's been a consistent influential subset actor, right? So, so you know, with with printing of money and um, in, in, and uh, and that way of governments trying to read keep redistributing, like in a, in in free in freer countries, like in, in not so free countries uh, with with a lot of natural resources. You can see the flow of power trying to be maintained by the states using natural resources. But in other countries, you can see that by printing money, you get the flow of power going back to the governments from the, you know, removing the purchasing power of the people relative to the government because the money that you have in your hand is going to be valued less. But the people who are get to print the money are the people who are still maintaining that purchasing power, right? So this is why this is why some people say like. The more, the more you do that, the more you get like the purchasing power being spent on people on things like grenades rather than avocados, you know, um, or to to tanks rather than cars. But but you you see that that force trying to maintain that. But even with all the influence that these state actors have, you see the gap between state actors and sub-state actors being is being reduced everywhere globally at a, at a massive speed, right? Um, but the reason, but it's being even, reduced. Like, yeah, the gap is again? being reduced. Yeah, oh, the, the gap, gap is being, is being reduced. reduced. Okay, yes, yes. The gap sorry. is being reduced, right? Like Never so. The gap so You're right. So yeah, the, the gap is being reduced. But if you're noticing the in a in a in a state as powerful as the United States, right? If you notice that gap is being reduced, right? Like you have Facebooks and Amazons, and many other institutions, and you can see that. So here's the thing: when a lot of people think about world politics. They think about countries, right? They think about Iran versus Israel, uh, United States versus China. But it's like what we have to realize that that way of thinking is going to miss make a like if we if you ignore that it's not the world, the powers that be that are competing with each other. If you just think about that traditional model of different states competing with each other, that you're missing a big part of the picture because new players have entered the game. That are not governments, right? Um, so your your analysis of the trends is going to be very simplistic if you don't include these other powers as part of your equation, like Facebook, Google. Uh, I mean, you saw like ISIS, right? That was a major part of the equation, right? IRGC. Um, I mean, IRGC is technically both substate well, I mean, and part what's, of the state. What's interesting about this is like you know when you go in and when you're making deals with people when you're negotiating then will we see a point or i mean we kind of already are seeing it where you know you go into the lebanon syria region israel region and then suddenly you're making a deal uh with hezbollah right because like okay you are one of the most powerful organizations over here so let's make a deal with you you're not a country but uh we have more interest in negotiating with you so it's kind of it's like this report well, you know I mean the way that it breaks this stuff down 
is it says that yeah. you know where it's saying the first two of these changes uh, they they both indicate different things. So two of them the lack of uh, the lower oil uh, dependence on the Middle East and uh, the uh, the Israel the new secure Israel sort of indicates that the U.S. will disengage from these kinds of areas. It doesn't need to be part of it. It doesn't have, has a reduced national interest. Whereas the other two, the rise of China and the rise of these sub-state actors, shows that where that the U.S. must change the places where it's actually engaging in the Middle East. It has to do yeah. where that direction has to go. And, so and of, you know, yeah, and, that's and, interesting. And United, United States being the leader of the new world order ever since World War II, that is going to be threatened. Uh, with the sub-state actors becoming more and more influential, right? Because, um, but yeah, but 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 what what I was trying to conclude was like if the gap between state actors and non-sub-state actors are being uh, reduced in such a mass uh, rapid speed, even relative to the United States, imagine what that what that does in somewhere in countries in North America, North Africa and. The middle, uh, all of Africa actually, and the Middle East, right? Because uh, the gap was already lower. Like these are not powerful states, right? This is why, like, if you look at the country like Iraq, the relative power of um, you know militias, Shia militias, to the government becomes a lot more important than you know the relative power of Facebook. Um, and Google to the power of the United States government because the gap is so much smaller, right? Because the gap is so much smaller, the effect of the rise of the power of sub-state actors becomes, becomes more important. I mean, technically you could say that like what's happening, what could happen in Iraq is what already happened in Lebanon or in Iran because the sub-state actors eventually became so powerful that they became states. You know what I mean? Like, like IRGC was a sub-state actor and now it's like, half of the goddamn state. If it, take, some people say all of the states, right? Um, like in Lebanon, Hezbollah used to be a sub-state actor uh, and it became relatively powerful enough that it's like now one third of the state or take, maybe people will say more than half of the state, right? Uh, in Egypt, Muslim Brotherhood was a sub-state actor uh, and it almost became all of the states, <laughs> right? Like So again, so, so you can see the gap between sub-state actors and, and state actors is so small that they could just replace each other at some point, right? Um, but again, if if you see that that dance between sub-state and state actors in the Middle East, you could. What does that say about the future of the rest of the planet? Um, when that gap also becomes smaller in, in countries like United States, like when eventually when Microsofts or Facebooks of the world um, become so powerful, and the gap between the United States government and these institutions becomes smaller, are they going to? be like replaceable like you know what i mean like are they, are they going to be like interchange like are people gonna do you know what i mean like are they gonna are they gonna shift each other's positions as well especially ali especially with the rise of metaverse um you know what i mean like eventually like eventually especially if we get to a place um where you're not going to your life the rules okay if your life is so much in influenced by the environments that you're spending time on online, whether it's on Facebook or Google or YouTube um, or Instagram or, you know, that the rules that these institutions have over what you get to do or not do will have more of an impact on your life than 
government tax rates or government rules, right? So that's how you can see the sub-states actor eventually re replacing the positions that states used to have, right? This is so amazing and complicated that I didn't, like, it's even, it's almost impossible to even come up with a way to figure out what direction we're going to head with this. But it's it's happening faster than a lot of people realize, right? Um, and, and, you know, this is something that more people need to pay attention to, okay? A, lo a lot of people see the, these discussions as, as different categories. Like, you talk about geopolitics, like um, Iran, um, you know, just recently had, like, some fight with the Taliban at their border for the first time since Taliban came to power. And I don't know, like, and we were talking about, I don't know, United States um, now getting closer to the Philippines ever since Philippines realized that China is not a good, as good of an ally as they thought. And they were like, oh, this is one category of discussion. And then we were, talk were talking about censorship on Facebook and the rise of altcoins and metaverse and NFTs. And people think like this is a separate category of discussion. Um, but what we're going to notice very soon is that these things are going to become the same topic very soon. Very soon, these are going to be sa the same category of discussion. Um, not just in nor not 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 just in countries where these companies are based on, but even like even like you know what's going to happen when Monero becomes a, a competing coin relative to Bitcoin. And you are going to be able to fund, um, I don't know, Hezbollah um, or Hamas with nothing in the world being able to detect that. You know what I mean? You know, it's going to be easy. It's going to be a whole, there's going to be a parallel world built right next to the world that we're talking about. And they're going to be, and there's going to be more power dynamics within that world. Like, I don't know if people really even even before this whole all of this before the rise of Facebook and Google and social media and the metaverse and the blockchain technology before all of that I don't there's another world already out there called the derivative market and if you look at the amount of economy and exchange and trade that is happening there you most people are completely unaware about this there's a there's a parallel world economy that is much, much bigger than the entire economy of the entire planet that is happening without most of us paying attention to it. You know, the derivative yeah. market is like a monster. It's like a whole beast of an economy that it could in, that is bigger than every other trade like that we do outside of that, right? And that's just there doing its thing without anybody talking about it other than people in the finance yeah. industry. So you could have that, again, you're, you're going to see that 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 one people don't need to that one that world is so robotic and rational that people don't have to worry about it influencing politics or stuff like that but when it comes to these other par parallel words like the metaverse or people building applications with blockchains and decentralized finance and de decentralized applications and everything that will also could grow exponentially fast to the point where it's even bigger than trades and the economy and the laws and everything that we're doing that we traditionally refer to when we, we say these things yeah. and that will that that will change everything i don't even know how but it will <laughs> yeah we should uh yeah that's okay so we should wrap up now and i think that by the way all, all of that is another episode in itself um uh, so we have one uh main patron question today was from bobo um and she oh, okay. is saying at 11 33 p.m so we'll go through this really quick it's actually quite a good question and she says, 
Uh, do you foresee an eventual clash of values between China, an atheist country that criminalizes Islam, and the Middle Eastern countries, Islamic countries that criminalize atheism? And this is actually one of my favorite things to think about is uh, that Bobo, I actually don't think, aside when the U.S. isn't involved, I don't think any of these Islamic countries really care all that much. If, the, if it's not the U.S. and Israel involved, I don't think they really care. So what happens is I, that... And the, no, I mean, if you look at Iran, right? Iran had this huge thing with the great Satan, the great Satan, the great Satan. The United States was the great Satan. But they were allied with, the, they were perfectly okay with Russia and the Soviet Union, which is the godless atheist. You know, it didn't, like these ideological and religious things didn't really matter that much when they made these alliances. Pakistan has a huge problem with the West being Islamophobic. Or, you know, like the France being Islamophobic or Israel and what they do and, you know, the killing all the Muslims and so on. No issue with China putting Muslims in concentration camps. So I, I just, uh, I, I don't well, really actually, see that much of a big deal. This but. is a good example of mentioning the sub-state actors because it does matter to the sub-state actors. And the sub it could matter to these states because the sub-state actors could make it matter to the states. Do you know what I mean? Like this is actually a very good example of why it could have an influence, right? Um, because the people in these countries, very Ali, are you? What are you doing? Because yeah, because the people I'm muted. in yeah, but, yeah. Cause because I'm sniffling. The people, yeah, it's okay. Uh, the people in, you know, for example, Saudi Arabia is desperate for tourism and investment, right? So they might like, you know what? Let's have Halloween. Fuck it, Halloween. Like shirk, shirk, go on full, shirk, uh, you know, shirk mode, maximum shirk mode. Uh, who you know, uh, so but like, but the people care, right? And they're like, I don't know, the UAE is like, hey, fuck it, we're allies with Israel, we, we're desperate, we need this, okay? That you know, you know, all of the narratives that we had, like Egypt, like, okay, yeah, we're allies with Israel, what are you gonna do? Like, you, you can't do the people, your Egyptian people, do you think Egyptian people are happy with that? They're not that a lot of the, a lot of them are not happy with that, right? So, but again. Just because the state act, the, the one reason why you see states do things that might not reflect the, the will of the people is because the fact that they get away with it, right? They can't, right? Um, but there will be eventually um, more and more people within these states that are not happy with it. Uh, and as, like, right, uh, right now, um, if the relative powers of the state is so high compared to the people, if the gap closes and the people are not happy with the direction, then the sub-state actors within these states are going to come up with a direct conflict with the states themselves. Yeah. But again, when that happens, the, what the priority of the state might have changed and the priority of the sub-state actors might have changed, right? Like one, so if you look at it in a country like Saudi Arabia, they might get closer to be able to get closer to Israel without the people who are upset about it being able to do much about it, right? Um, but in a country like Pakistan, uh, the people don't like uh, the fact that, you know, the, the, the people might, the people in Pakistan, if they were focusing on the fact that China is mistreating more people, they might have cared about it a lot more, but they don't because they already are focusing on so many other things to hate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you give yeah. them, you give them the Shias and the Ahmadis and I don't know, people blaspheming against Muhammad. You just exhaust their outrage. Uh, over things that they they can't even that don't matter 
so that they don't actually have enough exhaustion and enough uh, outreach to go around when it comes to actually protecting real people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So there's that element playing there as well. Like in because in Pakistan, unlike in Saudi Arabia, the the, the Islamists do have a lot of power relative to their state, right? Especially maybe not the army, but at least the civilian state, they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but but it's amazing that even they have the relative power, they're not using that to push the civilian state to speak to say anything against China because they, the power there exists, right? Uh, again, that's a you know um, that's you know the that's a the Islamist sub, uh, sub-state actors there are very powerful. They're so powerful that they could march on the capital and maybe take over if they wanted to, if the <laughs> army allows. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. But again, but they're, they're not using that power to 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 force the government to stand up against China, who's abusing Muslims, because they're just outraged by people offending Muhammad allegedly, and or people or Shias or people who do not consider Muhammad to to be the last prophet. That's that's where they're spending their yeah. energy. On. So uh, D. Boudreaux saying she's saving the question so Ali can go rest. That was not necessary at all, but that, uh-huh. that is kind of true. I'm at that. I, I don't know. I I think I'm coming down with something for sure. So um, it's, yeah, I we're gonna. So we'll wrap it up here. Like we're about 15 minutes over time, but yeah, this is a fascinating, fascinating topic. I think we're gonna ask. We're gonna cover different aspects of this separately in different streams. Um, yeah, yeah. Music guy 220 is saying shirk attack. Yeah, shark attack. With a shark, Excellent. With a shark. <clears throat> yeah, they're making all these shark uh, sort of puns right now. Wanted mm-hmm. to tell you guys, if you like what you hear here, you know, please do consider going to. Oh, first of all, if you're watching this or listening to this on YouTube, please like this stream. Hit the like button. Go in. It takes a second. Take a second right now to go and subscribe. Um, if you are and hit the notification bell so you can be notified anytime you see videos like this. Uh, if you like what you hear today, please do consider going to patreon.com slash sjme and becoming a patron for as little as a dollar a month uh advantages of this you can watch all of these live streams you can take part in the live chats and ask questions and we'll answer them on the air and if you are not able to join the live stream you can ask your questions ahead of time in the patreon post and we will answer your questions first we'll see them first and we will prioritize them so please do consider doing that if you're listening to this on itunes or any other sort of your your apple podcast or google podcast any other podcast app please consider giving us a rating so that, uh, you know, we're featured more prominently and more people can hear about it. Yeah, yes. Please, please, please um, like our video and share it. But Ali, you're getting a lot of comments in the live chat for your health. People telling you to take care, get medicine, get rest. That's very I know. sweet. Get dressed. Sweet, guys. Get oh, dressed. get rest. Okay, I thought there was rest. a get dressed. <laughs> I was like, no, no, guys, I'm not this dark. It's okay. not my skin. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm still pretty dark, and you know. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. That's not, yeah. okay. Then we have to go. <laughs> okay. All right. All, All right. right love you guys. Take All care. Right. Bye. Be best. Be best. Be best. The secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.